Okay, so this week we're looking at integrity, okay? And so we're just going to wait for the PowerPoint to appear, and then we'll begin. When you've got Luke 12, you can just plonk it there for a minute. We'll read it in a second. Okay, so here we are. Now, integrity, I discovered, comes from the word integer. It's apparently Latin. I know nothing about Latin, so don't be even slightly impressed. Um, Whole or complete. So it gives the idea that something is the same on the outside as it is on the inside, the whole way through. So uh, if you cut a block of gold and look gold on the outside... If it was gold on the inside, then we'd say it has integrity, yeah? It's the same on the inside as the outside. And in human relationships, we think of integrity in terms of people doing or being what they say or what they believe, okay? So they're the same. What they verbally express is what you see or what they present is what's really going on. For example, if you sign a contract that says you're going to work nine till five, you work nine till five. You don't sort of roll in at 10 and take a long lunch, Okay, that's not integrity. And if you sign a piece of paper to say that you will do a certain bit of work for a certain amount of money, you then don't come back and say, well, I want more money. Okay? But time and time again in life, we see that integrity is lacking. Okay? So, uh, what about this? Can anyone see that? <laughs> okay. That is our Eastleigh MP. Bless him. <laughs> found this lovely picture of him buddying up with the police Um, and as we know that hasn't gone so well he's been exposed for um, kind of perverting the course of justice as it were there's this guy yeah obviously very well known um, a hero um, and an icon of the cycling world and he's been exposed to actually living a double life hasn't he Um, But we see this kind of inconsistencies everywhere, don't we? It's not just in the rich and the famous or the politicians that we like to throw things at. It can be closer to home. It can be in our families too. We can look very shiny and perfect family on the outside, but behind closed doors, there's a different story happening. Um, And it's the same in religious communities as well. Um, We all know the tragedy of uh, religious leaders being exposed to have been living a double life. Um, So no area really is is free from hypocrisy. And in this passage this week, Jesus teaches us to watch out, to be on our guard. Um, And what he means by that is it's not just something that we're going to deal with once. We're just like like a prayer, some prayer we need to pray one day or a recognition. But it's an ongoing thing for us. It's watching out, being continually on our guard that we're not falling into this this sin. Okay, so let's read the passage and then we'll crack on through it. Okay, so starting at chapter 12 and verse 1 in Luke's gospel. Okay, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. 
What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roof. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing of the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you're brought before the synagogue rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Okay, let's pray. Father, as we look at this really difficult passage this morning, I pray that you'd give us open hearts to hear what you're going to say. Father, please help us. Maybe there's stuff we've read read just now that's twinged us. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be teaching us and guiding us through what we hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, last week, Um, we looked at a record of uh, Jesus interacting with those religious uh, teachers and leaders, didn't we? And he brought up this issue of integrity. He rebuked them. He said what was on the outside was not what was going on on the inside, that they had taken the text, they'd twisted it, they'd manipulated it, and they'd made it uh, do what they wanted it to do. By their reading of the Bible, they ticked all the right boxes, but those that didn't tick their boxes, the ones they decided were important, they were quite happy to condemn and bully and tell them that they were wrong. Here in this passage, we've got a massive crowd. It says that there were thousands. And if you can imagine in those days, a little village would be maybe 40 to 100 people. 40 to 100, so it's quite, quite small really. And yet thousands are now gathered around Jesus. So they've walked a fair amount of distance to get near him. And they're flocking. Jesus' reputation is building. People are hearing about him. They're coming. Some have come to hear his words. Some have maybe come for some healing. Others have come just out of curiosity. Maybe they want to see a show. They want to see what he's going to do. And within the crowd, there's like, I'll use the words from this passage, there's like this yeast, a really nasty poison that's spreading. And this is people that are in the crowd that actually, they're not interested in Jesus. They don't ever have any intention of following him. They are here to trick him and to pull him down. These are the same people that we'll read later on who went um, and convinced a crowd, manipulated a crowd, bullied a crowd into asking for the release of a murderer and saying that that was good and that's what God wanted and asking for the condemnation and the crucifixion of a man who'd healed and uh, raised the dead and spoken good words and that that was good to kill him. 
and that was good, God's will. So you can see how they've twisted what's going on. And at the center of this pressing crowd, we get this idea that uh, Jesus says, he says he first spoke to his disciples. So it's like a bit of a team talk. Imagine they're huddling in because it's getting pretty scary out there. Um, you can feel the excitement maybe in the disciples thinking, he is so popular. This is like revival. This is amazing. And yet Jesus, he wants to huddle them in because he wants to show them that this, what you see is not always what's happening. He wants to prepare them a reality that they're not seeing at all. And he starts off by saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay? So first off, he says, I want to guard you against doing what the Pharisees do. If you imagine yeast, it's very, very, very tiny, isn't it? If you, get, if you make bread, you need the teeniest, weeniest bit, don't you? And it spreads through the whole loaf, okay? So he's saying, even the smallest, tiniest, weeniest bit looks so like it doesn't really matter, actually can have massive consequences. So he wants them to be on their guard. He doesn't want them to wear a mask. He doesn't want them to act out a role, pretend that something they're not. Remember, the Pharisees, they conformed to the outside. They wore the right clothes. They went to the right meetings. They made a big show whenever they were giving money financially to people. They wanted people to see how good they were. But underneath it, Jesus exposed that actually they didn't really care about what God thought. They only cared about what their community thought. That's really whatever they said, whatever rules they were following, however good what they were doing could have been, their heart told a very different story. And we are relational beings, aren't we? I want to bring this in now. We are made by God to be in relationship, be in relationship with him and be in relationship with others. It's how we're wired. Unfortunately, everything doesn't work how it does. Because of sin has entered the world, we search for these relationships in the wrong place. We get it terribly wrong. We strive to be accepted by others, don't we? We want to please. We, we are people pleasers by nature. Let's just admit it. We like people to like us. But nothing should come before God. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and we mind ourselves, and love your neighbor as yourself. The first is the most important. The second comes out of the first. If we try and do the second it falls down because we end up trying to please people instead of God. In our lives, it's really difficult, isn't it, to be different? We only have to look at our children. It starts there, doesn't it? Uh, I remember a friend of mine telling me how her six-year-old became hysterical because she needed a black coat for school. If she didn't get a black coat, she's six, remember, she wouldn't be allowed to fit in. She wouldn't be like everyone else. They weren't going to let her play with them. And then we know that that goes on to teenage years, doesn't it? Where you have to have the right trousers or you have to have the right hairdo or you have to have the right shoes. It continues, doesn't it? When the peer pressure maybe is at its biggest is when our understanding of the big world and what really counts is maybe at its smallest. But we'd be silly to think that it ends when we leave school, wouldn't we? 
At university, it's all about being different, uh, looking a little bit different to everyone, expressing yourself. And I, I think that is getting younger. But at the end of the day, you're still conforming. You conform by being different. If you're not different, you don't conform. If you are different, you conform. Can you see how it's constantly peer pressure? And as adults, we do the same. We want to please people. And church culture is no different. We don't uh, live in a little vacuum where we're not exposed to that. We might be in a place where it's considered we must be helpful. We must attend certain groups in church. We must go to church. We must be there. We must do this. We must do that. And they're not bad things, are they? Like the Pharisees tithing. It wasn't wrong to tithe, was it? It's never wrong to tithe. But we need to look at why we're doing it. And if we um, continue to do something without really wanting to do it, not really having a desire to please God then it breeds religion, doesn't it? It it breeds filling boxes and not really a relationship with God. There's nothing wrong with being disciplined, of saying I'm developing a spiritual discipline. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's just be clear. It's good. Sometimes you need to drag yourself out of bed to go and do something. It's like doing exercise, isn't it? But if it's long-term that you're doing this with no heart and no desire, without admitting that to God or to someone else or to yourself, you'll end up in religion. You'll just be ticking a box. If we think that we're above it, we just need to look at the Acts of the Apostle, don't we, with Peter, who he thought, you know, you'd imagine after he's been exposed for denying Jesus that he'd have it all sorted by then. He wouldn't have a problem with hypocrisy anymore. But remember how he, where he started eating just with Jews. He didn't want to eat with Gentiles. Do you remember that? Because it says he was scared of the people. So he didn't grow out of it or get over it. He was scared. And then Paul came in and told him the hypocrite he was. And even the lovely Barnabas, sweet, sweet, yummy Barnabas, who's the encourager, even he's been led astray, hasn't he? See how that yeast, just a small person, just one person, is spreading. So we need to continually come back to think, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? What are my roots? Who am I doing this for? Okay, let's look at the next one. Oh, there's a bit on peer pressure. I can't even read. It says, come on, all the cool kids jumped. (laughs) Okay, let's look at the next bit. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you've whispered in, in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. First one, everything at the end of time will be seen. There's no way of getting around that, is there? We know that at the end, when judgment comes, everything we've ever done, Jesus will be standing there and he knows, okay? Nothing is going to be hidden. No matter how much we hid it from maybe our family or our friends or our wives or our husbands or our bosses, Jesus knows it. And at the end, it's all going to be seen. But this kind of wording about nothing that will be concealed, um, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, comes in another couple of other passages. So it also comes somewhere else in Luke, and it comes in Matthew. 
And in those contexts, it's about the disciples proclaiming, speaking about who Jesus is. It's about telling the truth. It's about being a witness. It's about saying, yes, I do believe that Jesus is Lord of my life. I do believe that Jesus came. I do believe that he died on the cross. I do believe he rose again. It's in that context that it comes. So he's saying here, these guys shouldn't be ashamed or keep quiet. That is to be completely hypocritical of what they believe. When they know what happens, they shouldn't be hiding. And remember when, first of all, when Jesus was first uh, crucified and then he rose from the dead. Remember the disciples hid. They were scared, weren't they? Really scared. They didn't want to say who Jesus was in case something happened to them. They were really fearful. Okay. So how can we find the courage to live with integrity? Okay. How can we find the courage to do that? Well, let's look at what Jesus says in verse 4 and 5. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. (sighs) Scary, isn't that? We don't like to think about fearing God. We can find it really troubling and upsetting to do so. But what I want you to consider first is what do you fear? Okay? What do you fear? Because it might be unemployment. You might say, I don't fear that until it happens. It might be that you fear that people will say something against you. It might be that you fear losing your house. It might be that you fear being attacked on the road. It might be that you fear being bullied at work or rejected. And there are a million and one things that we could fear, and they feel and are genuine fears, aren't they? They're things that we can get anxious about. But there's one thing that we, as Christians, if we've said, Jesus is Lord of my life, we shouldn't fear, and that's death. Jesus has defeated death. He's destroyed it. It's no longer the end. And if we accept Jesus as our Lord, that is one thing we don't need to fear. Yet here we read fear God, don't we? Yet we read fear God. And he's saying this, who? To his disciples. Why? Because... When it's all said and done, whatever's happened to us, what's happened in our lives, whatever experiences we've been through, however horrendous they are, and I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care and he doesn't weep with you and he doesn't get with you and he he does not desire what has happened to you. It was not his will. But when it's all said and done, the worst that can happen in this life is that you die. But eternity, eternity for you, prepared for you, is about Jesus. And only he has the right to remove you from that. Only he has the right to remove himself from you. To remove all that is good, all that is hope, all that is joy. That's to be feared. 
and ultimately the one true authority over you, your life and everything is God. He alone. And that's why we need our perspectives right. We can get so consumed by the fear of life, of what might happen, or what has happened, or what will happen. But fearing God, it says in the Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of truly understanding. And when we forget this, or we don't know this, fear of God is replaced by fear of humans. And that is a scary place to be. It's a place where hypocrisy will breed the very thing that Jesus is warning us against. So I got this from... I thought, I quite liked that. (laughs) Okay. So indicators you might fear man more than God. Okay, this is not saying that this is definitely the case. This is just, you might want to bring that before God and say, you know, sometimes if you're not getting on with humans, it might just be that you're actually not being very nice. Okay. Let's just put that there. Okay. But it might be that you struggle with peer pressure. You worry constantly what people think about you and you want them to accept you. It might be that you're overcommitted. You cannot say no. Okay, lots of us out there that can't do that. We can't say no because we want to please the person asking us. We've got this thing in us, we cannot say no. We start serving people and not God. Number three, you might struggle with self-esteem. Our value becomes wrapped up in what's happened to us or what's been said to us or even what's said on that very day. We might be overly embarrassed or shy. Okay? You fear being the center of attention because people might laugh at you, they might expose you, you might look silly, you might get the wrong answer. You second-guess decisions. You're constantly weighing them up. You change your mind constantly because you're worried about whether you've made the right one to please the right people. And this is one that struck home with me, actually. People make you angry, cross, or crazy. (laughs) It's because you made them too big a deal in your life. You've assigned them a very unhealthy place, an unnatural amount of power that only belongs to God. And finally, it could be you. You have too much responsibility. In a person's life, you have too much control. You've allowed them to make you their Lord. And now you have control instead of God of them. So I'm not saying that these are to condemn you or to say these definitely mean that you value fear man more than God. I'm not saying that. Or even that, you know, they might just be an indication that you need to deal with something else. But I think they're useful just to have a bit of a think. What might be an indication that I'm fearing man more than God? Okay. Look at this though. Jesus follows straight up with these words. He doesn't even pause. He doesn't start a new new paragraph. This is what he goes straight into. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Okay, so as John said, the sparrows, they were the cheapest thing you could buy in the market. They were the poor man's meal. Okay, 
Yet Jesus says here, the God that you should fear is actually the one you don't have to. He is to be feared above all others, but he knows you perfectly. He remembers you continually. It says here, he watches you carefully and he values you immensely. In fact, if we read on in Luke's gospel, we realize how much he valued us. That he gave himself, that he came, that he emptied himself, that he was willing to give everything he had for us. And that he's done everything he can to bridge that gap, to do what we couldn't do in order that we should never be separated from him. And Jesus repeatedly assures, do not be afraid. In John 1 John chapter 4, it says, if you truly understand how much God loves you, there is nothing to fear. That's what it's saying. When you really grasp it, really grasp it. But choosing to fear God rather than man is wise, isn't it? To want to please Jesus is freeing for us. The one who didn't wait for us to come to him, but came to us who loves us perfectly, before time to eternity. It will never end. Jesus is ultimately the one we want to seek to please, who created us, who delights in us. Everything possible to enable... He's done everything possible to enable us to please him. And this stands in contrast with trying to please human beings who are broken, who mess up, who get it wrong all the time. And if we're trying to please that, we are going to be in a very dangerous place. We need to be honest about who we're really trying to please. I think that's important. I remember what I said, this isn't a one-off. This is a lifelong struggle that Jesus said, be on your guard. So we find courage for integrity as followers of Jesus by firstly fearing God, not man. And secondly, understanding that that God we fear is for us, not against us. Finally, even with courage, we know we fail. Even with courage, we know we fail. So how can God help us in this? Okay, we're human. We mess up all the time. I'm there constantly trying to please people, constantly living with there, constantly bringing it to Jesus. Jesus says in the next bit, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you're brought before the synagogue rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you'll say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So, four things to finish. Firstly, Jesus says in here, verbally acknowledging him is what he wants. It's not an option. He's warning the disciples, if they want to follow him, they've got to acknowledge him before men. We looked at that, you know, the concealed thing. They can't be silent. We cannot be silent. We have to do that. 
But if you lose your nerve, get it wrong, mess it up, it's not the end of the world. Remember Peter, classic example, denies Jesus flat out. Jesus gives him. He says, that's okay. I forgive you. Get back on with it. And that's how Jesus treats us. Thirdly, this is a difficult verse for people. There are some people who will not be forgiven. There are some people who will not be forgiven. And it's a difficult text. You know, when I was reading for this, there was like, oh, here are seven different views. And that was just in one book. (laughs) But the common answer, as we know, is if you fear that you might have done that, you probably haven't. If you fear that you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you probably haven't done it. You can't have done it. You cannot have done it. Nothing is beyond forgiveness. When Jesus came, he said, I've come to forgive the world, the whole world's sin, all of the sins. Nothing excluded from that. Yeah, he gave his life for the whole world, every sin. There is not a sin that is beyond Jesus' forgiveness. But something must be. Something must be. There is a sin that can't be. And that is complete rejection of Jesus. Okay? That is when you know the real deal. You know who Jesus is. And you choose to reject him. And that's not just like, oh, I'm not really sure how I feel about Jesus. That's the utter lifelong rejection. I will not ever make Jesus my Lord. I will never say that the ultimate authority in my life is Jesus. I will never say that Jesus has the power and the authority to tell me what to do with my life. That's where it really hits the fan, as it says. <laughs> A lot of people do reject Jesus, but I wonder sometimes what Jesus they've rejected. What Jesus have they rejected? Have they rejected the one that we know that we read in the scriptures or have they maybe rejected or not made up their mind on someone that they've kind of heard of in a myth that they think might be Jesus? What I'm saying is I don't know, okay? I really don't know. But I know that that is clear, that some people will not be forgiven. And I do believe that they are the people that outright, with full understanding, reject Jesus out. I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want anything from you. I don't want to know you. I don't want your joy. I don't want your hope. I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want your love. And after that, well, what can God do? And finally, and this is important, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to live with integrity. It is not about us trying really hard. We must always remember that, mustn't we? Nothing we do is about us trying really, 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 really hard. It's about the Holy Spirit. It is God's grace in our life to transform us and change us. It's God's grace coming in and transforming that fear into a place of no fear, of knowing that we love God. It's about God coming in, of us saying, I know that I struggle with hypocrisy. I know I fear people. Please forgive me, God. Come and change me. Come and change me. So, what do we need to do? Fear God more than man. 
start to internalize God's view of us, what he really thinks, what he did for us when he went to the cross, what he promises as an eternity. And thirdly, we need to grasp the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Let's pray and then I'll hand back over to John. Lord Jesus, when it says be on your guard, we want to take that seriously. We want to take your, you seriously in our lives. We want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to check us, to search us, to see if there is anything in us that is seeking to please someone else and not you. Lord, we want to repent of any misplaced lordship. And we want to give thanks to you, God, for your loving grace and provision of the Holy Spirit to change us, to teach us, and to reassure us that we are utterly loved by you. Amen.